Итак, прежде чем мы с вами вновь начнем исследовать и погружаться в глубины нашего неисследимого наследия во Христе, Неизменным эпиграфом к исследованию нашего наследия. The unchanging epigraph of our study of the Word of God is Luke 24:44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Considering that Christ is the head of his body, <coughs> we, are, as the participants of the body of Christ, all should also need to share together with Christ all the things that are written about Him. We will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, revealing the truth in the heart, looking at what we need to do from our side to receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so we can put on the new way of life. <coughs> Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, this place is also is in Colossians, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is created in accordance to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the calling of every individual holy person that has come into the family of God not to evangelize or to do anything else, not practicing spiritual gifts, not plead for blessings that God could give, but understand that this is our calling. If we uh, obtain the whole world, however anointed, anointed I may be, if I do not fulfill this calling, I will perish. The fact that Saul was anointed did not help him. The fact is that all the kings of the earth are anointed because they, <coughs> not a single uh, person of, uh, or figure of authority, is in his position without God's consent. Saul was not a warrior in prayer. David was a warrior in prayer. And so we always... Remi uh, remember that a warrior in prayer is always an anointed of the Lord, but an anointed of the Lord is not always a warrior in prayer. And so we need to seek not anointing, but the anointer, not gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the giver, not blessing, but the blesser. Only then will we be able to fulfill our calling, to put off our former way of life, the old man, then renew our mind by the spirit of our mind, and then put on the new man. And to fulfill this commanding order, we have been studying these vital, charging, and fundamental acts to put off, be renewed, and put on that have become the subject of our study. We have noted that it is specifically our decision regarding these three destiny-affecting acts to put off, be renewed, and put on that will determine whether you transform yourself into a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath. More specifically, will the realization of our salvation come to pass that is given to us in the format of a guarantee? We will remember that the salvation that we receive when we're born from God is given to us in the format of a guarantee it is conditional. If it will not be turned to profit us, then we will lose it and 
will forever then be blotted out of the book of life. In a specific format, we've already studied the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we begin the, pr the process of clothing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. A process. This is not something that happens uh, suddenly. This is a long, long process. Relevant to this, we already looked at a series of parables and events. We became familiar with the condition that we need to fulfill in order to, by the name of God, El Elyon, or God Most High, meaning Most High, El Elyon, destroy the stronghold of death in our body in the form of reigning in its sin, identifying the essence of our old person with his deeds, so that we can forever thrust him out from our body into hell with noise. And afterwards, erect the kingdom of heaven in the form of the stronghold of eternal life in its place, and stop to study the next condition. It consists in the 18th Psalm of David, where the Holy Spirit, with the right that he alone has, reveals the condition based upon which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon, or God Most High. And this condition is that in the circumstances of our hardship in life, when we are putting off the old man with his deeds, we can call upon the Most High as to our God and confess the faith of our hearts, stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and who we are to God in Jesus Christ. We've noted that this metaphor is one of the most powerful and voluminous symbols demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind in the form of King David with the name of God Most High and the confrontation with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul and reigning sin in the form of our old person with his deeds. Three kings in one body that have revealed themselves and are now battling against one. David, our new uh, form of thinking, our, our new mind in Jesus Christ, who, which is the mind of Christ. We know that this can only be experienced, understood only by those saints that have died for their nation, for the house of their father, and for the corrupt desires of their soul that have left their spiritual position of spiritual infancy, that have cleansed their conscience from sin, from this false virtue. And only they are able to experience that. Only when a person leaves spiritual infancy uh, then Saul begins to show himself until David killed the lion and the bear and tended the, the flocks of his father. Not Saul or the old person were his enemies. It was the opposite. They were actually his helpers. He did not, he did not consider them enemies. It was the opposite in that state. The old person adjusts and actually inspires a person to re do religious works. Uh, they are, of course, coming from the flesh. The same deed can come from the Holy Spirit and com can come from the flesh. But people in this state are not able to differentiate what comes from God and what comes from 
from their flesh. Even when a person is in the state of, uh, or is more enlightened, uh, even then, it's possible to not notice, as David did not notice. He was already, uh, he had grown spiritually, but he did not notice, and he performed a census, and when there was a census, it was only uh, conducted because God uh, requested it. And this often happened when the nation needed to uh, fight with an enemy, and they were not prepared. And it wasn't that, that they didn't have weapons, but it, inwardly they were not prepared. They needed to be sanctified. And so the nation would sanctify themselves. It was a is a, it was a form of sanctification. And every person that was included in the census uh, would give a half shekel of silver, and this was given into the temple as a memorial for God, so that it would be a memorial that this person is uh, in God's memory. And so when Satan confronted Israel and prompted David to uh, perform a census, God thought, or David thought it was God. And why did David think this? Because God had uh, blessed him immensely right before this. And God had confirmed him as king, established him as king. They, they Tyre king, he sent his uh, masons and builders, and they built <clears throat> a cedar house for David, and David realized, he understood that God had established him as king, and the prophet came to him and said that the Lord had forever established his throne, and he was so uh, joyous, his kingdom, there will not be an end to it, and it, his throne will be uh, governing the entire earth, and he began to think about how he will govern the entire earth. He has one kingdom, yes, they have neighbor kingdoms, and further, there are also other kingdoms that do not uh, pay tax or other things. He began to uh, think with his mind, as Saul did in his time as well. I thought it appeared to me that this was a better option, that these uh, fatted uh, sheep, uh, we can bring them to as a sacrifice to God. He thought that was better. David, at the in the same situation, he was in the same situation. He thought that the census, he knew, that before battle, a census needed to happen, and he began to prepare to take over the earth to establish his throne over all the earth because he received that revelation. But he didn't know that how the Lord will establish this kingdom and what this throne will be till the end. And then, thinking about this, and he, his heart uh, apprehended that this was his flesh, but he already performed the census, and destruction began within the nation. He began to pray and plead God uh, for forgiveness. All can, things can happen, but people that are not spiritual at all, how are they able to understand this? Their virtue always comes from their flesh because God can't work with them. They don't have a throne. They don't have a king in their mind. 
they don't have a person that would that they can come to acknowledge him as their authority from whom they are able to receive the seed about the kingdom of heaven that would be able to release their sins they don't have this kind of person they go directly to God violating his very law he said to the apostles whom you forgive sins they will be forgiven those you retain they will be retained but still people go directly to God and ignore God's law not even thinking that resisting God how how this will end for them they inwardly are convinced they've convinced themselves a person uh, is a self-deceiving often and they believe it and then deceive others and lead others also along with their idea once you proclaim a a deceptive words uh, uh, repeating it again and again a person begins to believe in, in those things himself and tells others and is not afraid And so, we, to note this metaphor and to study it so that by the means of the faith of our heart, stating who got us to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us and who we are to God, God would receive the required basis or grounds that he needs to, to join the battle for our earthly bodies in order to shame the reigning in its sin, who is the old person by the power of his redemption and forever cast him out into hell with noise. In character, the first psalm of David contains three parts where we see the example of the character of legitimate prayer. The first part identifies the condition or state of David's heart as a warrior in prayer. And we also, before we pray, we need to have the inner state uh, that identifies, uh, that is evidence that we are warriors in prayer, that gives us then the proper grounds, the legitimate status, so we, our prayer can be <coughs> our prayer can be legit before God, only in the presence of God in the temple, and it represents God's interests. It never represents the interests of man. A priest is a representative of the interests of God. A person comes with their illness and says, Lord, heal me. You had put upon my account, it is written, you took upon yourself my illnesses, my weaknesses, heal me. A priest, a legit priest, says, Lord, these are your interests. You gave your only begotten Son so that people can be healed, and that is your will. May your will be done. You see, it will be different than one that just simply prays. Second part reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer, which gave God the proper basis to deliver David from the hand of all of his enemies and our enemies as well. The third part describes the prayer battle itself, which surpasses the comprehension of the human mind, because it is written in an epic format where it says that the earth shook, the rock split. It's hard to uh, imagine uh, physically, as you see in the psalm, 
it's an allegory. In a specific format, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which reveals the consistency of legitimate prayer contained in the eight names of God Most High. Although there are 50 of them in Scripture, David uh, brings forth eight because eight is a number of the covenant. And as all of the names are one in one in the other, they support the truthful nature of one the other, it is sufficient to know the consistency of these eight names and they will help you uh, then be diluted into all of the 50 names of God and they will become your own. Getting to know and confessing the power contained in the heart of David in the eight following names of God allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised to be saved from his enemies. And for God discovering the truth, revealing the power of his names in the heart of David, provided God proper grounds to use his abilities that consist in his eight names to battle against the enemies of David. Everything that God can do against our enemies is he needs the confessions of our heart. If there's no confession of the heart, we won't receive anything. We won't receive anything. God takes our words upon the condition that this is the confession of the faith of the heart, and then they are in power equal to the power of the word of God that comes out of the mouth of God, because they are the same words of God that we receive into our heart as God's faith, and now we confess them. And doing so, we talk about we talked about this that in the in the human essence. There are three thrones, or should exist three thrones of David. The first throne needs to be in the spirit, the second needs to be in the mind, and the third in the body. In the body, this is your mouth. In your soul or mind, this is your renewed mind. And in the spirit, this is the mind of Christ, by, by, by uh, the means of which God uses to do everything. This is one throne, but in the human essence, there are three. Uh, you are three but one, and so this uh, throne is within all three. And so Psalm 18, 1 through 3, here we see eight names. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Eight names of God. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. When I proclaim these words, these names, inside me there's a power that is uplifted as when you proclaim. You don't just read it. You proclaim whom God is for you in Jesus Christ. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my strength in whom I will trust. The Lord is my shield. The Lord is the horn of my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. Confessing who God is to us, we allow the Holy Spirit, we provide him the proper grounds he needs so that he can use it 
this power against our enemies that confront us or come against us in a specific format as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith. We already looked at our inherited lot that is in Jesus Christ in the power of three names of God, these names of God, strength, rock, and the name of God, fortress, and stop to study our inherited lot that is in Jesus Christ in the name of God, deliver. We will remember that the nature of prayer where David confesses his lot in the eight existing names of God Most High is the strategic teaching that is purposed to be the calling and mantle of a king, exclusively of a king, of a priest, and of a prophet, anointed to rule over their earthly body. And if a person has not accepted the given to him anointing to rule over his calling in the form of his earthly body in the status of a king, a priest, and a prophet, then his revel and this revelation given for worshiping God in prayer will not benefit him. Therefore, the quality and lexus in identifying the name of God Deliverer, as with the previous names of God, is not able to be found in any dictionary of the world. In Hebrew, the name Deliverer means the leader or chief of the covenant, redeemer from the slavery of sin and death, the savior of the body, one who protects from the wrath of God, one that reinstates your rights to the inheritance, one that places us into safety as his holy possession preserving our guarantee until the coming of Christ. This is deliver or the lot that is in the name deliver. In the given prayer psalm of David, the name of God deliver contains the inherited lot of the Son of God in whom and by whom a person can collaborate with the power contained in the name of God deliver and receive the ability to turn the guarantee of his salvation to profit. This profit is the saving of his soul and adopting his body by the redemption of Christ. If a person does not understand that when he receives salvation, his soul is not yet saved and his body is not yet saved, he is not working on it. He trusts that he's saved. And although here he doesn't understand something, there he'll understand everything on the other side is what when we cross. Uh, over. There we will understand what we understand here, and what we did not understand here will be a catastrophe when we go there. And so if God wrote this book, he didn't write it so that we understand it on the other side. He wrote it so we understand it here and fulfill those requirements that are given to us. Considering such a necessary balance or such a union between God and man, it becomes vital for us to determine in every aspect of our essence the role of God and the role of man. And for this purpose, we, as we studied our lot in the previous names of God called to be the lot of our salvation, we have the necessity to study a series of questions, what characteristics and categories identify our inherited lot in the name of God deliverer. Second, what role does our inherited lot in the name of God deliver play in achieving our salvation? Third, what price do we need to pay in order to provide God the proper grounds he needs to be our deliverer? And fourth, by what results do we examine ourselves, that God truly is our deliverer in achieving our calling? 
We note that not having clear and comprehensive answers to these questions that we are able to receive exclusively by being instructed in the faith within the strict order in which the body of Christ functions, we will not have any ability to invest our silver in the form of our guarantee of salvation. Second, without strictly obeying the preached word of the person that possesses the authority of a father from God and his helpers, we will not have the ability to receive profit in the form of the fruit of righteousness from the seed of guarantee that we have invested. For all of the promises of God in him are yes, in Jesus Christ are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 1.20, Apostle Paul writes, not a single promise of God is able to be accomplished or achieved in some way without acknowledging such a person, not a person that we have elected by the majority vote or that has come and said that God has placed him, but only that person whom God has placed by his way, one apostle appoints a, another apostle and delegates him. But first, this person needs to be a student. And we know in the democratic system, a person comes, two, three people come that you can see for the first time that you know nothing about, but they say that they're Episcopals and they will... Uh, empower you and delegate you. People don't know who this person is, how much they know the scriptures, no one knows anything about them. And so then not knowing anything about them, how do you come uh, to this person, uh, it isn't written, written that for all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, Amen, to the glory of God through the apost to the through the Episcopals or pastors. No, it says through the not through the Episcopals, but through apostles. Apostle is one that is sent by God, and an apostle will always have an impact that will spread. Further, he won't just impact one church. God has done it this way that my impact as an apostle is stretched forth. I don't even need to communicate with people directly. It is impacting other people by the work of the Holy Spirit. Apostle Paul called himself a, called himself a father of the people. Why? Because his uh, teachings had... Uh, spread and were passed on to others. And so it's important to see what these Episcopals write or preach. Can the uh, sermon that this Episcopal preaches uh, or, or speaks, uh, will it impact others uh, beyond the group that he's preaching to? They write letters or other documents. We had a letter, I remember, when we were in the Soviet Union, we received a letter. And so it was uh, from the group of Episcopals, a letter came. They had decided that the first day of the week we need to pray about the principalities and powers. 
the second day about pastors, third day about healing, fourth day about something else, and, and so forth. And the pastor of the church read it and said, brothers, do you agree? He asked the people, the brothers in the church. One deacon said, I agree, but I'm not going to pray for Brezhnev. And I said, why not? It is written that you pray for your leaders. No, I will not pray for Brezhnev. Absolutely not. He, he, he agrees with everything else. They ask, and they ask every brother, and all agree, 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 and they come to me, and I said to him, Question, he said, yes. That letter, is it inspired by God, or is it just uh, the... Uh, work of the human mind. And he told me, can you not publicly ask these kinds of questions, he told me. And I said, why not? These are brothers, and not just any brothers, the brotherly uh, council. And he said, this is a, a man's document, or human, a human uh, cr man-created document, not God-inspired. And I said, I cannot support something created by men, not something inspired and not inspired by God. I will pray for principalities and powers that God, I will pray all this, but I'll pray it all in one prayer. Why am I going to separate out, split it out into days of the subjects that I'm going to pray about? It doesn't say this in scripture. If Apostle Paul says to pray, he, he immediately shows what to pray about. Why I say this is because, first to understand, if the scriptures say, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him Amen, to the glory of God through the apostles, 2 Corinthians 1.20. In a specific format, we already looked at the essence of the first three questions and stopped to study question four. Question four, by what results do we examine ourselves that God truly is our deliverer in achieving our calling? First component by which we can determine that God is our deliverer is knowing that your tent is in peace and that you are able to visit your home and find nothing amiss or nothing out of the ordinary. <coughs> Job 5, 17 through 24, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death, and in war, from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace, you shall visit your dwelling and find, no <coughs> and find nothing amiss. According to the given metaphor, <coughs> and this is an allegory metaphor, knowledge that we are able to obtain about our tent being in peace, and that we are able to visit our dwelling place and find nothing amiss, will come to us as correction from the Almighty that will consist of a form of chastening or a form of correction that we will have the right to either accept or reject. Correction from the Almighty that is given to us by the means of a specific nature of punishment is called to deliver us from six troubles, so in the seventh trouble no evil touches you. 
Examining yourself on whether God has delivered you from the seven listed troubles is, po is possible in the following. First, in famine he shall redeem you from death. In war, God will uh, redeem you from the power of the sword. You will receive the ability to hide from the scourge of the tongue. You shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine, and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. If we have these six, then God will save us in the seven troubles. The reason for why we can have deliverance from the six listed troubles will be because we have a covenant with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field will be at peace with us. Relevant to this, we have a series of questions that when responded to, we will be able to know that our tent is truly in peace, which gives us the ability to visit our home so that nothing is wrong or no sin is there, and that these components will be testimony that God is our deliverer. First, from what seven troubles are we being delivered by being corrected, received from the Almighty by the means of the above-mentioned punishment or chastening? Second, about what nature of chastening or punishment that is being sent to us for correction from the Almighty is it referring to? <clears throat> How do we examine ourselves on the six components called to serve as testimony that we are delivered from the seventh trouble? Fourth, in a, <clears throat> in a covenant with what stones of the field is it referring to, and with what beasts of the field are we able to be at peace with? Fifth, what home that we know is at peace is it referring to, how, and how do we visit our dwelling place and not find it amiss? First, from what seven troubles are we being delivered by being corrected, received from the Almighty by the means of the above-mentioned punishment? Only after we are able to define the seven troubles or identify the seven troubles, we will have the ability to understand the punishment that is sent by the Almighty for correction. First, you need to identify these seven troubles, because only the way, by the way of correction received from the Almighty in the format of punishment that is apprehended and received with our heart, we will receive the opportunity to collaborate with God in the deliverance of the seven troubles, and God will receive the proper, uh, proper grounds He needs to save us from the seven troubles. In Scripture, the seven troubles from which we need to be delivered are the elements of the, hatreds of, of the hatred of God. Therefore, to collaborate with God in being delivered from the seven troubles, it is necessary for us to hate them. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. Let us look at the troubles God will deliver us from. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. This, of course, is in a proverb. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, one who sows discord among brethren. God says he will save us from six and in the seventh we will not be uh, experience harm. 
one who sows discord among brethren, because one who once there is discord, there is hatred, and this, of course, person will not be participating in that. This discord uh, typically uh, then has the presence of division and and and, and they, they split or separate. According to the meaning of the given proverb, so that God can deliver us from the seven troubles, carriers of which are the wicked and the lawless men, it is necessary for us to be delivered from the seven troubles within our essence, the carrier of which is our uncrucified flesh, being supported by reigning sin, that is our old person. In Scripture, the number seven is a symbol of fullness of righteousness in Christ Jesus, placed in dependence of the truth of the Word and the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth within the heart, or the fullness of wickedness, placed in dependence from reigning sin and reliance upon your intelligent abilities. Seven is not just the fullness of Christ, it is also the fullness of the beast. Therefore, the seven troubles identified the state of inner fullness of the uncrucified soul of man that is condemned to destruction. We need to note that until we understand the essence of the misfortune that lives in us in the seven troubles and will be delivered from them, the seven troubles that are out of us are not able to be our enemies or more like they will be this of the same mind as we. There are seven troubles in us, seven troubles out of us as well. And now that we are familiar with the essence of the seven troubles, identifying the state of the uncrucified soul of man that are independent of their nation, the house of their father, and from the corrupt desires of their soul, we will look at question two. I'm not going to go too much more into these uh, troubles or into these components. I trust that each of us have seen them in ourselves and in those around us. Second, about what nature of chastening or punishment that is being sent to us for correction from the Almighty is it referring to according to the identification of the seven troubles that exist within man, identifying the state of, identifying the state of his old nature, we conclude that the punishment of the Almighty that provides correction about the deliverance we have from the uncrucified nature of man being supported by the old person carrying the program of the fallen cherubim is the truth about the collaboration of our cross with the power of the cross of Christ. This is the identification of the punishment of the Almighty, the collaboration of our cross with the power of the cross of Christ. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is, do not reject the correction of your father, says. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whomever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, 24 through 26. And this is written more than once. Relevant to this, I would like to look at one event where the punishment of the Almighty corrected man how he needs to be delivered from the seven troubles that live within his body.
How we need to be delivered from the seven troubles in our body. Now there was a famine in the days of David in the days of David for three years. Year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibbonites. So the king called the Gibbonites and spoke to them. David was corrected with hunger for three years. The Gibbonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. And this is a foolish zeal that he had. Therefore David said to the Gibbonites, What shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibbonites said to him, We have... No, we will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, whatever you say, I will do for you. Then they answered the king, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah, of Saul, whom the Lord chose, and the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of uh, Jonathan, the son of Saul, because the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth and the two sons of Rizbah and uh, the daughter of Ahai, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adrael, the son of Barzil. Sometimes they would call uh, uh, children by the same name. They'll have multiple sons, and they'll name them all uh, the, same, uh, the same names. Sometimes and so in this situation, this, uh, the seven people from the uh, line of Saul, and so again, Armani and the two sons of Rispa and the five sons of... Michal, and he delivered them into the hands of the Gibbonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days of the beginning of barley harvest. When the first sheave of, of barley was brought uh, to the Lord, this, uh, the door, this symbolizes the door of our hope. This is the time when the body of a person needs to be adopt, adopted by the redemption of Christ, when his carnal body needs to be transformed into a heavenly body before the Lord appears for his own. 2 Samuel 21, 1 through 9. In the given event, the seven men of the descendants of Saul represent the seven troubles living within the body of man. Considering that David was the recipient of the kingdom of Saul, the punishment of the Almighty was against the kingdom of Saul, the recipient of which became David. And in order to deliver David from the seven troubles that remained in his kingdom from Saul, God corrected David with hunger. The concluding phrase, and he delivered them into the hands of the Gibbonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord, so they fell all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days in the beginning of barley harvest. 
This event speaks of when and in what way our bodies will be delivered from the seven troubles that represent the stronghold of death within our body and in its place the stronghold of life will be erected, when these seven troubles that are within us will be hung before the Lord. Because God upon the cross uh, achieves this deliverance. God says anyone that hangs on a tree, these seven represent the wholeness the fullness of uh, impurity within us, that is the old person that lives within our body. After we come to power of our, <coughs> over our mortal body, we have become recipients of the kingdom over which our mind previously ruled, that was supported by the power of the seven troubles. I want us to understand that after we come to power over our mortal body that previously was ruled by Saul, our previous mind not being a warrior in prayer, <coughs> not being renewed by the spirit of the mind, we became recipients of the kingdom. We began to rule over our bodies. I rule my body according to the mercy of the Lord. Previously, I was not able to. Previously, I was not able to rule over my corrupt desires. I suffered much. I pleaded with God and didn't know how to be free of them. But God delivered me and I came to power over my body, but previously my mind, my corrupt desires ruled and God begins to correct with punishment that you came to power, but there is something that you need to be clean, you need to rid yourself of. You rule, yes, you rule, David uh, ruled. There was a continual... Uh, battle still going on, conflict between the house of Saul and the house of David. And to collaborate with God in delivering us from the seven troubles that remain within our bodies after the death of Saul, whom we lost in the death of the Lord Jesus in the form of our soul, we need to give these seven troubles into the hands of the Gibbonites that represent the members of our body that are given as slaves of righteousness. Our tongue, as the Gibbonites given as slaves of righteousness, confessing the faith of God that abides within our heart in the adoption of our Gibbonites, will provide God with the legitimate grounds that he needs to deliver us from the stronghold of death within our body in order to erect the stronghold of life. The Gibbonites are people that were not of the nation of God. This is what's in the body. Our body and soul as it is, when we repent, are those Gibbonites that we need to be free of, but we can't be free of them. We need to be free of Saul. We gave the, our body as slaves of righteousness, and the Gibbonites started to do what? To bring water, chop wood for the altar, and clean and maintain the temple. Not a single Jew was able to perform this work because you needed to enter into the temple. You needed to do that work, but they couldn't. They were... These Gibbonites were as in the level of the Levites, and God cared much for the Gibbonites. Many things depended from them. Our tongue, when it was not a slave of righteousness, it said whatever it wanted. But now with our tongue, we confess the faith of God.
And so our tongue, in the form of the Gibbonites, giving us leaves of righteousness, confessing the faith of God that abides within our heart. And what does he confess? He confesses the adoption of our, of our body, the adoption of the Gibbonites. Third question, how do we examine ourselves on the six components called to serve as testimony that we are delivered from the seven troubles? Practically, using our mouth, which is the tool of our body, and that Saul wanted to destroy, not understanding that if you destroy it, then in what way will God deliver us? If God would have destroyed uh, Sigor, then uh, Abraham uh, pretty much found refuge in, uh, if he would have destroyed it, uh, he would not have found refuge or be saved. The small little city, the small little member, our tongue, that... Uh, uh, impacts uh, all of our life and inflames it. And so when we begin to apply these changes, make these changes, our tongue begins to prompt God's faith and not dirty feelings or... Uh, but rather the faith of God. And so how do we examine ourselves on the six components called to serve as testimony that we are delivered from the seven troubles? If we have them, then we are delivered from the seven troubles. In famine, he shall redeem you from death. In war, God will redeem you from the power of the sword. You will receive the ability to hide from the scourge of the tongue. You shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine. You shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. Considering the format of the, uh, of the allegory while studying the first component, we conclude that the scripture does not indicate a regular physical hunger or famine, but rather about the thirst. You have to hear the word of the Lord, as it is written. As it says, in famine he shall redeem you from death. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and from seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day the fair virgin and strong young will faint from thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. <clears throat> Amos 8, 11 through 14. Here it's referring to such a form of famine. Why is God not giving to them? They're, they're thirsty and hungry for his truth, and God's not giving it. And the reason is because they do not swear by the God of Israel, but swear by the sin of Samaria. Being redeemed from death during a famine, it is not something given to the wicked and the lawless man that, present, that are present in the midst of the chosen by God remnant. There are many call, are, that are called, but few are chosen. The multitude of the called are the wicked and the lawless people. In the beginning, they are not yet 
lawless or wicked. In the beginning, they are no different than the wheat. Because when the wheat rises and the weeds rise, you can't tell the difference between the two, but only when it's matured. Uh, and so when the harvest comes, then you will be able to determine, you'll be able to tell the difference between the wheat and the one that is lawless and the wicked seed. I had told you, uh, I know before, talked about how you differentiate the wheat from the wheat, and it looks almost uh, identical, but when you press it and take out the grains, when you open the weeds, it's some kind of like a bl black uh, mold uh, in appearance uh, substance. And I ask, why is this? He says, uh, I don't know. We plant grain, but together with the grain, there and here, these weeds uh, uh, show up, and we don't know where they're coming from. They appear, and they look exactly like wheat, but when it's time to gather and we open them, it's some kind of uh, like a particular like a black mold in appearance. And I've seen this myself and touched it and pulled it out. And I also saw... Uh, I also pulled out uh, grains from the wheat, grassing, and eaten the grains as well. And they're very good, actually, and, and they taste really good when you do. And so, we, uh, so a person becomes hungry and begins to desire to know how to be free of the old person, and the scripture uh, explained how, how. Forget your nationality. Look what happened in Ukraine. Almost all the Protestants, 90 per plus percent, had stood under and supported the Benderevs. They wrote me letters. I am a Benderev. I'm, I'm of the Pentecostal faith, and I'm with the Benderevs. And how dare you say something like you said that the Benderevs are our nationalism and fascism. Yes, we're for our nationality. It was amazing for me to hear that. Uh, you see what happens, the misfortunes that happen, and it's because of the Protestants not because of the Orthodox. The Orthodox are not nationalists, and they were against uh, dividing the people and separating them, uh, the nationalities, uh, Russians from Ukrainians, and they were against this. And there was a lot of anger against the Orthodox, but the Protestants know, and the... Uh, and when I saw Poroshenko in the Baptist church, he was saying, brothers and sisters, glory to God, hallelujah. If you can imagine Poroshenko shouting in the, uh, in the church, hallelujah, but his hands covered in blood. Let us not continue on that, but I just am showing. Being redeemed from death during a famine is not something given to the wicked and the lawless men that are present in the midst of the chosen by God remnant. Being delivered from death at the time of famine will be given to that category of men that are able to live with 
the devouring fire that will be received by them as the cool of the day. <clears throat> and for the lawless, it will be a devouring fire. The wicked cannot stand amongst the righteous. If you truly begin to preach the righteous, true righteousness, you see that 80, 90 percent of the people that are currently in these churches will leave. Why do you need to go with the multitude to hell? It's better to be free from the multitude and inherit the kingdom of heaven in the small remnant that will want the truth. The sinner in Zion are afraid. Zion is a symbol of the body of Christ, the church of Christ on earth. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? The true Zion, there will be a devouring fire, holiness. What is a devouring fire? This is holiness. Separation from your nationality, from the house of your father, from your corrupt desires, from anything that is sin, everything that God hates. Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? And here's the response, who can? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppression, who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed. What is bloodshed? When they begin to tell you, do you know that this brother or this sister uh, were committing fornicating works? This is bloodshed. You are casting shadows. This sin was killing this brother, but the Lord had thrown this sin behind his shoulder and you talk about the sin and pass it on to other people. This is bloodshed. Then this person closes his ears not to hear it and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of, of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Isaiah 33, 14 through 16. The rock is the promises of God. The bread is received there in the promises of God, and his water will be sure, the life of God will be sure. Studying the second component that is present in the words, in war God will redeem you from the power of the sword, it's not referring to the regular uh, war or battle or about a regular sword, but a spiritual battle against the lawless and wicked that are amongst the nation of God. The sword that uh, you use and that of the wicked, that of the wicked is their personal interpretations and their desires, and they kill people. And you'll say, how is this? My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. The jackals, your prophets, are like the foxes to the ruin, the same uh, concept here, principle. But the king shall rejoice in God. A king is a person that rules over his body. Everyone who swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped, Psalm 63, 8-11. I continuously, in my prayer, I always <clears throat> swear by God. When an evil thought comes into my mind, I say, The Lord lives before whom I stand. I shall not be shaken. Be removed in the name of Jesus Christ. 
I don't allow that in my mind there shall be evil thoughts of any kind and that would find its place or would weave its nest there. Setting the third component that is written in our, uh, that's written that our ability to hide from the scourge of the tongue, it's necessary to look at the format of, of speaking that inspires uh, emotions. And uh, prompts people to behave unrighteously. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. Proverbs 26.3 The horse is a symbol of our emotional aspect that is inspired and controlled by our tongue. A person is inspired, these feelings inspire his emotions, and he begins to speak bad things and then says, I'm sorry. I didn't want to say those things. Why does he do this? Because how do we do it that he not be inspired anymore in this way? You need a rod so that he stops doing this. We see that the ability of those who fear God to cover from the slanderous tongue or the evil tongue is their own gentle uh, and wise tongue with which he protects himself. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. The lip of the lips of the wise will preserve them. Proverbs 14.3 Lips of, uh, that are wise is a gentle mouth that confesses the faith of God that abides within the heart. And so if you're angry, do not speak at this time until you calm down. Suddenly, if you, you become angry and you're angered, and suddenly you ask a question, then the other side at this time will need to be silent and not respond. If they see that the partner is asking in anger, and then you need to be silent and tell them, let's talk about this later maybe tomorrow or in two hours. Make, a, make a, 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 an agreement or agree with them that they could talk, you could talk about those things so that you don't speak harsh words that you later will regret and not know then how to approach the husband or wife depending on who it is. They offend uh, the partner and then they... Uh, don't want to have any physical contact together, and, uh, and uh, you don't want to apologize sometimes, and you don't want to, uh, because, and they begin with uh, maybe doing kind things to kind of win the person over, but she know. Uh, she waits until he asks for forgiveness. And then she, in anger, says, do you not see you're not asking for forgiveness? You need to acknowledge that you were wrong. When you, with your mouth, will confess that you were wrong, or either he or she is wrong, then it will be easier to withhold your wrath or anger the next time. This is the one who, for whom the rod is. And so a... Wise, wise lips is of one that fears God is a gentle mouth that confesses the faith of God that abides in the heart. We need to keep in mind also that the method of protection loses its significance 
if you don't have simultaneously don't have a method for attack. The method of defense or protection loses its uh, ability if you don't have a method of attack uh, also. When a person says, start saying all these things to you, that this will happen and this to you, you'll say, the Lord lives and my soul lives, this will not happen to me. You have protected yourself. The Lord lives is an oath. God wants you to... Uh, Swear by his name. Do not swear by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king or your own head. But it doesn't say you can't swear by God. You could swear. The Lord lives before whom I stand. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and a righteousness the plummet. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. As often as it goes out, it will take you, for morning by morning it will pass over, and by day and by night it will be a terror just to understand the report, for the bed is too short to stretch out on, and the covering so narrow that the one cannot wrap himself on it. For the Lord will rise up as the Mount Perizim. He will be angry as in the Valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his awesome work, and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. Isaiah 28, 17 through 21. A person needs to confess, give place to God's wrath. How do you give place to God's wrath? You need to confess God's wrath in that moment upon the lawless and the wicked. They're able to uh, curse others, but they're afraid of curses themselves. But when you speak according to the word of God, may the Lord protect me, may the wicked go to hell, may he stand May the Lord rise against them. You need to confess the judgment that is written. And what do you do in this time? You pass on, you give God the ability to demonstrate his wrath. Whatever God does, God protects us using our confessions, using our mouth, the, mouth, the confessions of our faith. And so when you begin to confess in this way, you will uh, be, uh, you have a sword, they have a sword, you'll defend yourself. And so the gentle t uh, tongue breaks the, the bone because it is powerful, strong. And when this all-devouring comes, sword, I know many situations, uh, even when by the rod of my own tongue, God sent people and destroyed them with their very tongue. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of a rattling wheel of galloping horses of clattering chariots. Naum 3.1. Here also, the bloody city is a city where people 
are jealous of one another, hate one another. Who hates his brother is a person who's a murderer. This is a bloody city when people sit at one church and begin to tell one another turn to one another and tell each other you love each other or put your hand on the one next to you and pray about each other nowhere in the Bible does it say to do this but in most false charismatic services they do this and this this uh, virus is something that has spread and people think they all need to do this now. Many people sit maybe next to you that you may not need to be praying for at all. If they're lawless and wicked, if they remain in sin and don't leave the church, one who remains in sin don't even drink with this person. It's written. Studying the fourth sign of you not being afraid of destruction when it comes, we see this as a shipwreck in faith. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith in a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered, suffered shipwreck. We have destruction happens, uh, but you will not be afraid, and this will not happen. Uh, you will not be afraid, and it will not uh, and so when people say things like and we need to love everyone this is destruction but you have faith and you say this is lawless uh, to love everyone God does not love the devil and he doesn't love the wicked and the lawless people he doesn't not not only does he not love them he hates them and he said that we avoid communication with such people, that we distance ourselves from them, and if we don't, then we don't know God, and we will then share their lot. Studying the fifth sign, our ability to laugh at destruction and famine, we need to understand our organic membership to the Great Jerusalem. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him, about the king of Assyria. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed, laughed to your scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel? But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Because your rage is against me, me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Syrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Second Kings. 19, 1920 through 35. When Isaiah spoke this prophecy, Amos, the son of the prophet Amos, then it became, uh, it, it now, uh, 
became power and performed its work against the Syrians. When destruction and hunger comes, you will not be afraid because you have the words of faith, you have the rod, you have the sword. You need to give place to God's wrath so that his wrath immediately comes. As soon as they begin to attack, you need to return uh, you need to respond, confess God's uh, judgments against the lawless and the wicked. Studying the sixth element, our ability not to be afraid of the beasts of the earth, because we are in peace with them. These are people that have authority and power. You will not be afraid of the beasts of the field because you will have peace with them. These are people that have authority and power. People that have power and authority in, in all the structure, not just in the churches. I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what if what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. You will accompany corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 31 through 34. And so these... Uh, beasts, the beasts of the field are different than, he says that I fought with beasts at Ephesus. These were Jews that were resistant of the teaching of Christ and uh, were stubborn and wanted to stay only under the law. And we see these uh, in uh, the authorities, uh, say the Romans and them, they actually supported Paul and helped him at times when uh, the Jews would uh, rise against him and so forth. The reason for why we will have these six uh, above-listed uh, Forms of protection is because we will have a covenant with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field. We will be at peace with them. In a, uh, in a covenant with what stones of the field is it referring to and with what beasts of the field are we able to be at peace with? In this situation, we need to differentiate the uh, stones of the field from regular stones that it's not possible to make a, a covenant with. And also the uh, beasts of the field, the stones of the field that we will have a covenant with and due to which we will have these forms of deliverance, this is a unity of peace and fellowship with one another as precious and precious uh, holiness and within the boundaries of holiness. Why will, you be, why will you be delivered from all of these troubles? Because you will be in a covenant with these stones of the fields. All has, have seen, most likely have seen, how animals attack other animals. As carnivores, they attack, uh, they pursue an animal, and, and what do they try to do? They try to uh, knock one away or... Uh, <clears throat> knock one away from the from the remaining herds 
Because if they don't make them run, what happens is they'll stand in together, they'll turn their faces out and not let... But if they're running, they knock one away and that's when they kill and attack and kill it. But you'll have a covenant with these stones of the field. And so this covenant is uh, the fellowship with the saints within the boundaries of holiness. And the beasts of the field are not just people that have authority, but our voluntary dependence of our emotions, uh, depending on our mind that is renewed by the spirit of our mind, that our emotional aspect is placed in dependence of our mind. He answered and said to them, He who sows to the good, uh, sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. So the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the the furnace of fire, there will be a wailing and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has an ear, let him hear. And finally, what home that we know is at peace is it referring to, and how do we visit our dwelling place and not find it amiss? Specifically having these six uh, forms of of deliverance will know that our home is at peace. A home is when it's talking about it's either a tent or a home. This is symbol of our body. This is the ability to rule your mind and your emotions. Our time is up, and right now we will bend our knees, and we will pray, and may the Lord bless us in this prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Christ, again and again, I thank you for the great privilege to be a partaker of your Zion. And I thank you for this holy place that you have separated for worshiping you and worshiping your holy name. Thank you for your words, which are armor, protection, safety, and that are bread, the bread of life and the water of life for us. Thank you for this multitude and for this royal banquet. Thank you that you have clothed us into the garments of justification and invited us to this banquet. And we know that people that don't possess this uh, justification will be thrown out of this banquet. We thank you that we have received by faith your promise, the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. 
We hold it within us as treasure in our hearts, and we confess it, proclaiming that not existent as existent, and you account this to us as righteousness. And when we confess this promise, it is imprinted upon our heart and becomes clear clearly written for you, so that when the time comes to adopt our body by the redemption that is yours, you will clearly see it written, this promise upon our heart as the one that will read and will heal. And even if it, you tarry, or it tarries, you've taught us to wait, because it will come and it will happen. You can't allow that your words not be fulfilled. You are vigilant over your words. You have magnified them in the temple of our body. May your mercy be blessed now and forevermore, and may all illnesses and weaknesses be cursed in your nation. May all connection with sin and occult things be destroyed. May your inheritance understand that it is necessary for them to become free and from the dependence of their nation, the house of their father, and corrupt desires. That is, it is necessary to receive the, into the good soil of their heart the seed of the kingdom of heaven which is, contains the promise of the adoption of the body. Thank you for these revelations. May they be within the heart of your people, and may your Holy Spirit may keep them and make them, establish them. Thank you, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.